Good evening, good afternoon, uh, wherever you are. I welcome you to our new edition of Radio Evolve, our webcast for consciousness and culture. I'm very happy to have with us Leo Burke, uh, Professor Leo Burke. Leo, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Thomas. I'm just delighted to be able to join you. Thank you. Leo, you're a professor of management and director of the Global Commons in the University of Notre Dame. And your current teaching interest centers around global commons, climate change, emerging trends in business and society, and radical new models of leadership and development. Uh, part of your work is something that you call climate investments, as climate change is one of, of obvious depressing issues of our time. Uh, by now, everyone knows that. Um, I would like to ask you climate investment. Uh, with the background of uh, your interest of, of comments of radical change of new leadership uh, what is climate investment sure well uh, one way of defining climate investment or climate investing as some people call it is looking at a way that financial resources particularly investment resources can be used in a way that cools the planet down rather than heats it up so today we're in a situation where uh, so much uh, money has gone into the development and production of fossil fuels, and uh, we've realized that this is a, a tremendous issue around the world. And so the divestment movement has been one response to this, but also there are now movements with investors to look at how to change the current situation uh, so that we can have a more livable and sustainable future. Uh, and so it really springs from this notion that investment can be a powerful vehicle for directing our approach to climate change. But doesn't it sound like um, basically making out of climate change another business model? where uh, now we, we invested in, in, in basically in carbon industry and uh, we run down the planet and now we uh, try to uh, kind of uh, run the, self, the, the same business model by repairing what we destroyed before. Is this kind of, a, is this something uh, first, uh, of course it's, it's important, but it is something that really goes deep enough with dealing with the climate crisis that we just now invest into how to repair the climate. Sure, it's an excellent question. And I would say uh, climate investing is a necessary but not sufficient uh, set of conditions for addressing the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. So for instance, we all need energy. The planet needs energy. Civilization needs energy of one form or another. <clears throat> And developing that uh, requires capital. And so how we deploy that capital, whether uh, in, in a green direction or in a ground direction, so to speak, uh, makes a real difference. So the practical realities are that where we put our money makes a real difference in terms of carbon emissions mm -hmm. on the planet. That being said, uh, you're exactly right. If we... Uh, simply look at our energy system and say that, um, you know, we just want to switch from 
oil and gas and coal to solar and wind and conti uh, continue uh, our rates of consumption at the same levels, then the planet will be uh, no better off in terms of resource depletion, species extinction, and uh, overall lack of well-being. So concurrent with whatever directions are required in terms of redeploying financial assets, obviously what's uh, most critical, what's most fundamental, we could say, is our underlying uh, consciousness. And uh, how out of that, a deepening consciousness that life is a indivisible unity at its foundational core, mm -hmm. that from that we can have a whole new set of direction, a new set of decisions and behaviors that lead us on a more benign path with technologies that themselves uh, don't create the kind of carbon emissions that we've seen in the past. So both of these things are needed redeployment of financial assets so that energy from the supply side can uh, shift to renewables, but also uh, a, an awakened understanding of uh, what it means to live together on this planet, which would then affect the demand side of the, the equation, as well as uh, knowing that uh, unlimited consumption is not a model that is sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, what brought you there? I mean, your long-term interest is a certain economic model, if I may call it, that, that's uh, also focused on commons. Um, yeah. Uh, th this is your background. How did you come from this in interest in uh, this focus point of climate investment? How did this develop? Yeah, it was a, a little bit of a long road. The, I recall in 2004, I was teaching a class uh, to executive MBA students and I was talking about climate change and specifically referring to a report that back in 2004, the U.S. military had commissioned about the potential effects of climate change. So that was quite a while ago. And there was a uh, student, he was an investment banker, uh, uh, a student in the class who got up, and it's the only time I've been yelled at at class, he yelled at me saying I had no right to uh, take his time to talk about uh, such a trivial social issue when we should be talking about uh, more uh, business-related topics. And it got me thinking that there was a huge gap in understanding uh, this student in particular, but maybe more broadly, mm -hmm. in terms of the effect uh, that we were creating, the effects we're creating in terms of uh, on the planet uh, with regard to climate change, how business was at the forefront of, of these damaging effects, and that something needed to change. And so this concurrent with an understanding of the global commons that the atmosphere is perhaps our largest global commons and we have totally disregarded uh, this altogether uh, and uh, we need to do something and then my own spiritual the inspiration from my spiritual uh, 
master, Adi Da, had said, we really, he said in 2008, right before he passed away, that humanity should get off of fossil fuels within 10 years. And so all of this got me uh, thinking, well, what could we actually do with respect to this? And so we held a conference at Notre Dame. It wasn't until 2015 that this conference was held. that took a look at uh, climate investing, and we really explored issues of how capital could be redeployed uh, from its current usage. And that uh, the more I studied, the more urgent the matter seemed to be that we're really running out of time in terms of certain tipping points that we're uh, running up against. And uh, th the question then became, how could we really uh, move uh, companies to a new position? How, do, how would that actually really happen? So through one thing leading to another, continuing to explore this, we actually started to work with the Vatican and uh, held a conference there. Well, it's actually more of a private meeting at the Vatican in 2018, where we invited CEOs of oil and gas companies and CEOs of the world's largest investment firms to come together and explore in an open dialogue what it meant to be responsible in a day and an age where uh, climate change is obviously one of the biggest issues we're finding on the planet. And so that dialogue happened. It was, we didn't know what would come out of it, but everyone was very interested. Pope Francis participated in part of it. And uh, it's about 50 people. And uh, everyone said they wanted to continue this dialogue. So in 2019, this past year, uh, this was held again uh, at the Vatican. And this time we uh, upped the ante, so to speak, where uh, it was expected that the CEOs, both the financial guys and the oil and gas guys, would uh, sign statements. We'd have signed statements regarding the need for carbon pricing, as well as the need for transparency in financial risk disclosures relative to climate change. It took months of negotiation to kind of work all of that out, but at the meeting, uh, the people actually signed these. These were historical documents that the CEOs signed. Since then, uh, several of them have moved their businesses in a way that suggests they were really impacted by this meeting and making substantive changes in the in their business uh, and uh, but there's much further work to be done obviously so that's how the whole process has gotten started it's uh, continuing uh, right now and there is uh, yeah much further to go I mean there are several questions that come to my mind uh, one is uh, it's very obvious uh, for, um, I think, many climate change activists uh, uh, when they hear that you're, talk that you're sitting together with uh, some of the uh, oil industry at the Vatican uh, talking about climate change. Uh, it's like basically uh, sitting together with the bad guys, uh, hoping they would do so something good and 
uh, even the Pope being there uh, wouldn't change uh, uh, the mind of many people that this is something kind of uh, interesting. But uh, are you kidding me? Uh, what 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 could 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 come out of that? Yeah. So there's something also in relationship to to consciousness, capitalism, uh, human beings uh, that it seems uh, that has that you have a different take by even doing that. And then there's a second dimension, but and they are related uh, because of course uh, the big oil companies are private companies. Uh, they're uh, interest uh, is making profit for private car companies. You, you said yourself, our climate is maybe our biggest uh, global commons. Uh, uh, isn't there a contradiction between uh, talking with the most, uh, the, uh, the biggest private investors in oil business uh, to talk about something that should be not um, for business? Sure. Interesting, interesting set of questions. Well, first of all, if we um, hold the position or, or can intuit an understanding that the world is indeed a unity, an intrinsic unity, then everything's arising in consciousness, including people that work for oil companies. Mm -hmm. And so most fundamentally, at the deepest, most fundamental level, there really are no enemies. And so the question is, what do we do about the current situation? And um, several comments. Is it possible to uh, enable people to go through a process of, we might say, conversion? Is that actually possible? And then even if it is, are those people trapped in a system that uh, simply attempts to exploit and extract value financial value wherever it can. Mm -hmm. And so uh, is there any kind of hope in the midst of this? And so on this point of uh, conversion, it's very interesting uh, where um, uh, one CEO, uh, I mean, the thing is, these uh, CEOs, uh, they're human beings. Before they became CEOs, they were human beings. And um, Many of them have children, and many, some of them have grandchildren. And, and they're, uh, many are quite aware of the science relative to climate change and understand uh, their contributions in the midst of this to the problem. And uh, just a couple of uh, anecdotes from the Vatican process. Um, one uh, at the... Um, at the very first meeting, uh, right before we were meeting with the Pope, uh, one senior oil guy, he's a real statesman in the industry, he's a retired chairman of a very large oil and gas firm that obviously you would know and your listeners would know. And he said, uh, okay, I have two questions for us. Um, the first question is, do you think that we have the resources and technology available today to keep global warming below two degrees centigrade uh, from pre-industrial levels as called for by the Paris Agreement? Do you think we have 
the resources and technology available today to do this. And everybody in the room raises their hand. So the very powerful people command lots of resources or they invest trillions of dollars. Everybody raises their hand. He said, okay, the second question is, do you think we will do this? Do you think we will keep global warming below two degrees? And only one person in the room raised their hand. Hmm. Only one. And so then people were left looking at each other with these sort of heartbroken stares that there is this capability and we're not going to do this. The consensus view is for whatever reasons, uh, political, social, economic, uh, we're not going to do this. And the damage will be, you know, irreparable. And so there was this, you know, existential moment of something's wrong here. Something is not right. And uh, after the first meeting we had, I got a letter from one CEO of a large oil firm. Again, the name would be known to everyone, uh, who said, in my entire career, I've never attended a meeting like this that had a business meeting that had such a spiritual component to it. And I really need to go back and reflect on what the implications of this are. Well, today, his business, the of the company that he run, you know, that company has uh, made very public commitments to uh, ensuring that they are at uh, net zero carbon emissions by mid-century, as called for uh, by Paris. And uh, one of the world's largest investors has also said, as a direct result of the Vatican meeting, that they are now issuing all kinds of you know, green investments. And so, uh, a few of the other oil companies are actually have made similar commitments to net zero carbon emissions. And some are saying, we here's our pathway to get out of oil and gas and get into electricity or get into offshore wind or dramatically reduce uh, oil and gas going forward. So something is happening. Now, one of the things that, uh, but again, as I was saying earlier, it's not enough. Uh, and, and in fact, um, the, uh, it's not well understood, but if you take the international oil companies, as they're called, these are the large oil majors that trade on stock exchanges. Uh, they only represent about, at most, 15% of global oil extraction, oil and gas extraction. The rest are controlled by countries, uh, state-owned enterprises that are controlled by countries, whether it's Saudi Arabia or Russia or Iran or Iraq or Venezuela or Brazil. Uh, and more or less, uh, those uh, enterprises 
have very little concern about the environment. They have a mandate to uh, generate revenue for the government, for the national government. And they are the laggards in terms of environmental regulation, in terms of methane leakage, in terms of flaring, uh, and in terms of any strategy to get off of fossil fuels. So it's a real issue. It's a real issue. Uh, 85% of our energy today, this very day, comes from fossil fuels. So we have a long way to go to uh, shifting the tide. Getting investors to work with international oil companies whose shares are publicly traded is an important step. Uh, it's not the only thing that's needed. Uh, we obviously need policy. We need civil society. Um, but the international oil companies also can be a leading wedge uh, to, uh, in terms of change of business practices. And so uh, hopefully that will happen. At the end of the day, it's up to us as, you could say, individuals, as consumers, don't necessarily like to use that word because uh, we're obviously more than consumers, but the choices that we make uh, actually are critically important to uh, what happens with regard to fossil fuels. Mm. And what, what, what you talk about here um, brings several things to, to my mind. One is there's, uh, there's a new term uh, that I'm sure you're, you're familiar with, which is post-oppositional post -oppositional activism. Mm. And uh, it seems uh, that where you come from is very aligned with this. Uh, the, the way I think you were saying before, just before they became CEOs, they were humans. Uh, and, uh, also what you, yeah, how you're expressing how they come together in, 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 in the, in, in the Vatican shows that, um, something is happening on a human scale. Of course, there's the question, okay, yes, they are humans. Yes, they have a heart. Yes, they have children, but they're locked into a, a system called capitalism. So, uh, uh, They may have the best intentions, but uh, if they don't go along with the system, they just lose their job. Um, how would you respond to that? Uh, that's one question. And the other, what was your human experience being with these people who I'm sure in, in many respects are very responsible people? Uh, and yeah, uh, of course, they're humans. Sure, sure. Well, the, um, a couple of things with regard to, um, there, there's no question at this point that they're all locked in a prison, uh, in part of their own making since they choose to be there. And this prison demands, uh, the jailers in the prison demand quarterly returns. And so they have to, Uh, generate profits, and if they don't, they're going to lose their jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's uh, definitely a consequence. So how to kind of navigate this? What kind of time frame does that take? Do we have that much time? One CEO said in the meeting, look, I can make uh, $15 for a barrel of oil, $15 profit on a barrel of oil. 
for the same equivalent amount of energy from renewables, at best, I'm going to make $5. How do I make up that other $10? How do I say to my shareholders? How do I say to the pension funds that are investing in me, uh, we need to do something differently? So they're feeling this uh, squeeze. However, at the same time, investors more and more are saying, you know what? These are not very good investments anymore. So for you to propose, Mr. Oil and Gas Company, that you're going to invest $30 billion, say, in a new oil field in Kazakhstan that will take uh, uh, 30 years to uh, pay out altogether, we don't see that as a, as a good investment like we used to a decade or two ago. And so there's much greater risk on the long term to uh, staying with a fossil fuel portfolio. So there's a group of investors now called Climate Action 100 Plus. Climate Action 100 Plus. And it did an analysis, first to 100 companies, and then looking at 150 companies. So it used to be Climate Action 100, then became 100 plus. Uh, uh, 150 companies that are responsible for about two-thirds, between two-thirds and three-quarters of the carbon emissions of the planet. And these investors have now gotten together uh, and are lobbying the boards of directors of these various companies to uh, actually change their act. And at last count, it was close to $40 trillion of assets under management that uh, the investors in Climate Action 100 Plus were controlling. That is a huge amount of money. Uh, aggregately to, ag to aggregate that together, they own part of every company on the planet in one form or another, every company that's publicly traded, and um, are putting more and more pressure. As our insurers, insurance companies, are now uh, uh, talking about the fact that uh, traditional assets, oil and gas fields, uh, might come to the point where they're no longer insurable. Uh, and so even within the system of capitalism, even within the logic of uh, financial returns, there is a reassessment as to the uh, long-term profitability of traditional fossil fuel investments. On your second question, with regard to what was the experience like, it's like uh, it, it, it was very uh, moving in many ways uh, that, again, sharing the common humanity with people, understanding that they're all, as we all are, are caught in a series of webs and, and patterns of, of behavior. Uh, some showed a greater willingness to change than others mm. and are actually searching diligently. I mean, I, I, I know this from some background information, really looking of how they can take their board of directors 
along and inform their shareholders and actually make dramatic changes in their business model. There was one CEO at their last meeting. Uh, the, the Pope came and joined the meeting and unlike the previous year, actually took uh, questions from the audience, which is very unusual, very unusual. Uh, and this one CEO I remember was asking these soul-searching questions of, of how his company could actually serve society in a way that helps with the climate change issue um, rather than uh, just be, you know, a villain, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, and uh, they had a very touching exchange. The Pope had some very wise comments uh, for this man. And you could tell that he was, you know, thoughtfully considering that. Uh, so it was encouraging to see that everybody signed these statements. And in one case, uh, particularly for the Americans, uh, they were under a lot of pressure from their uh, legal teams not to sign these statements. Um, you know, the Americans are so afraid of being sued because people in America <laughs> sue each other way too much. And uh, this one CEO, it was really critical that he signed because if you have one guy who's holding out, then it, you know, the foundation of the whole thing starts to crumble. And he said uh, he was up at five o'clock in the morning, that morning, the morning of the signing of these statements with his lawyers. They told him under absolutely no circumstances should he sign the statement. And he thought about it. And he said, you know, I'm going to sign. And if I go to jail, it's your job to get me out. And, uh, and he did. So that was an act that was courageous in, in its own right. And uh, that company has a long way to go. But that's a step. Mm. So uh, we've got to work together. And this is why this matter of a shift of consciousness, we must presume, can be the case if we are working together in terms of the corporate sectors, the civil society, NGOs, activists, scientists. Uh, it's really taking all hands on deck. Policymakers, government officials, uh, so much is required right now. And each of us, it's very important that we do not presume that we are disempowered, that individual actions cannot make a difference, because that is actually not true, because there are seven and a half billion of us. And if you collectively add up a billion, two billion people doing something different, then things shift and could shift dramatically. Let me ask, ask you something very personal. Um, with this experience, and I have to, have to say uh, what you're telling is, is quite heartening to hear. Um, is it your experience, or would you share this thought, that climate change is doing something to our consciousness? 
because it seems, I mean, you have to be uh, quite a climate change denier to refuse to face the facts. Uh, yes. And I assume that the people that we are talking about, uh, the CEOs, are very intelligent people, and it's uh, not easy for them to deny the facts. Uh, uh, and obviously, uh, it seems they are also not willing to deny the facts. Uh, then what you what you're describing is it's also I mean I don't want to make too much out of symbols, but I want to bring it in also. It makes a difference if you make a meeting like this in the Vatican or you make it let's say in Singapore. Uh, and uh, the Pope attending, you may have a relationship to Catholic Church, whatever, but uh, the Pope stands for something, particularly this Pope uh, stands for something. So just to come together in this context and come together also uh, in a situation where it's very difficult uh, to deny that we as a whole, all of humanity and beyond us, are in a very dire situation. We have to change something in order for life to continue in a decent way on this on, on this globe, that this recognition, that this shared recognition, independently if we are the CEO of the most powerful company of the world or we are uh, just a private person somewhere in Germany or an activist, it brings us together in something of a recognition of our uh, common uh, humanity, but even more common humanity, our, our common being together uh, on this planet. And it seems that climate change, as devastating as it is, it changes, it changes how we have to be together or how we can be together. Because uh, when you look at this, uh, uh, we are on the same side uh, because we are part of life. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a, just a really excellent summary in terms of a, a much larger dynamic that is going on right now, of which this is a small part. And there are other meetings and protests and other things that are happening all across the planet today that are also a part of, of a shift uh, that is allowing us to understand that there's something deeper happening. And part of it is... Uh, for us to, with great humility, to be able to collectively take a position that we have all some much more than others. So obviously, if you're running an oil and gas company, much more than the average person. But all of us have participated in a process that's led to the current situation. For those of us who have been fortunate enough to live in developed nations, our carbon footprint is much higher but, uh, than in developing nations. But nevertheless, uh, we're all part of a process that can enable a way to go forward. One of the characteristics of the Vatican meeting is um, it has, as part of its dialogue process, a non-judgmental tone to it. So it's an inquiry rather than an inquisition. And so it's in the spirit of dialogue that we can explore issues and where these very powerful CEOs can say in front of their very largest investors, I don't know what to do. Now, that's a very vulnerable position to put yourself in. 
And, uh, and that happened in this meeting. One guy saying, look, I know how to run my company, but I don't know how to address climate change for the entire planet. And another one is saying, look, if I make changes, he was talking to, his inve- to the investors in the room, will you support me? Will you stand by and take a lower return uh, from your pension funds uh, for changes that I need to make to become, uh, get off of fossil fuels and move into a renewable space? And so, in other words, th- that I think suggests the sort of attitude or disposition that all of us need to be in where uh, we can leave any kind of sense of righteousness at the door and work together to look at how we can formulate a new approach going forward. Mm-hmm. And this new approach has to, you know, it has to accord more with reality. We can't just be thinking we can extract and extract and extract the resources on this planet infinitely. We cannot. And so there's a new way of living that we need to come to understand and embrace. My sense is that as we go through what's called the energy transition, there are going to be some people, maybe it's most people, who are going to want to hold on for a while to an old lifestyle or what they feel is their right to, you know, uh, to have access to, you know, nearly unlimited energy or whatever. And there are other people who are going to say, you know what, there's actually a much happier way to live uh, that embraces uh, simplicity, that embraces cooperation, that embraces a way of being where we don't have to just, uh, acquire stuff. Um, So really, if I think for your listeners and and for those of us who are concerned about these issues, social issues from from a deeper perspective of consciousness, to the extent that we can keep in mind there is a potential right now with the changes that are going to take place as a result of climate change that are sort of already built into the system that we're going to see over unfold over the next few decades, that there's really a way that things can happen differently. And that would be a very positive outcome. In relationship to that, you said something a couple of minutes ago that really caught my interest. Just to say, there's something deeper going on. What is the something deeper that's going on? Well, if you think that, um, to use a maybe computer analogy, the uh, intelligence is in the cloud, not in the device. So we are these devices and uh, think that we're in control and, uh, you know, the apps are on our phone and that's what's happening. But actually, uh, the deeper dimensions of reality point to the fact that there fundamentally is only consciousness and that consciousness has qualities to it that are utterly benign, utterly um, filled with uh, love and compassion. And so the extent to which this consciousness is both invoked and allowed uh, its qualities 
will be able to manifest more and more, even in a very difficult situation, or maybe even perhaps because the situation is so difficult. Um, I know my own uh, spiritual teacher uh, was concerned about issues like climate change because he thought if things got too far out of control here and, and social order started breaking down too much in the world that basically descended into chaos, then the opportunities around the world for participating in, in deeper esoteric truths and practices would become more and more and more difficult. And so it's very important for, uh, let's say, the great way to be uh, uh, available that we're able to order human affairs in a way that's benign and sustainable. I mean, everybody would agree with you that uh, uh, it would be a good thing if uh, this would go on. Uh, it would be a good thing. Uh, but it's one thing that it would be a good thing that that is to really uh, have a sense this in some way is happening. And it's how, uh, that you are saying more than this would be a good thing. It seems that you also have the sense uh, it's not just a, a, a nice, full, a hopeful thought. It's on a deep level of reality. How do you get there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously each of us would do well to have a spiritual practice in the kind of times that we're living in all together uh, feels uh, very essential as a part of the process to be able to live compassionately, work diligently, be realistic, and, um, and then get up the next day and the next day and the next day. One of the things that is, uh, I've learned, is an occupational hazard for some climate scientists is depression. Mm -hmm. And uh, we see now on college campuses, there's a new form of uh, mental illness, a new form of depression uh, that's actually medically termed uh, solastalgia, which actually means um, depression related to the anxiety that I won't have a planet to live on that will be habitable in the future. So young people are worried about this. And the antidote to this is to uh, understand that we have a choice where we can create vibrant, cooperative communities uh, that will be our best insurance, you might say, to the effects of climate change in the future. Mm -hmm. And that working together, we can find, um, you know, a kind of joy, even in the midst of external adversity with whatever comes. And so I think it is absolutely essential that we really come to understand the spiritual dimensions of the climate change emergency, if you call it that, mm -hmm. and that each of us would do well to embrace a uh, spiritual path with more rigor. Uh, you probably know the 
the German poet Hölderlin. He, one of his famous saying, it's very related, is uh, where the danger grows, what is saving us grows too. Mm, mm, mm. And the way he meant it, at least uh, the way many people understand it, how he meant it, it's not just a romantic hope, it's, it, it, it's an analysis. Mm, mm. And what you're describing seems to speak to that analysis because of the climate emergency that we are in. Mm. What you're saying about the need uh, for spiritual practice mm. responds to, let's call it, uh, a climate depression. Mm. Mm. Not just as an individual, but also as a collective uh, phenomenon. Mm. Seems to be very obvious. So it, 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 it seems to be something... It's not just it would be nice to do that or a good thing to do that. It seems obvious that there's something where the need becomes obvious. Yes. And because yes. it becomes obvious, it's also more likely to be taken. Yes. Uh, and, and that that in itself is already, has a saving power because uh, if there's no need for spiritual practice, uh, uh, maybe it's... it's makes more fun to play golf or whatever. But then but but there's something that we together in where basically the depth of life is showing that it's needed. Yes, yes. And that's yeah. the point you're making. Yeah. Well it, it's an interesting conversation because we we started about uh uh, uh business meetings in the Vatican uh, uh and of, of oil companies and uh we talk about uh uh spiritual practice and the depth of life in this. But in the way you, you were talking about it, it's very obvious uh, that this is connected and that our uh, desperate climate situation is forcing us to something collectively. Uh, you also just have the conversation about this. Yeah, yeah. And as you, uh, I'm very grateful for that, also point out uh, that includes uh, uh, the CEOs of the biggest oil companies, and they are just on the same side because they are as human as anyone else. Uh, in 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 this, that this makes it very obvious, uh, and I think this is also pointing to a different form of activism that's opening up here. So, thank you very much for this conversation. Yes, thank you, Thomas. Much appreciated.